Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stacey's mom has got it going on. She's all I want. And I've waited for so long. Stacey, can't you see? You're just not the girl for me. I know it might be wrong, but I'm in love with Stacey's mom. K-F-I-A-M 640. It is Mother's Day Eve. Mother's Eve. Let's just say it. Mother's Eve. Yeah, you know how I love the Eves. And I love that song, Stacy's Mom Has Got It Going On. And I used to have this running gag when that song was a hit in the early 2000s. I would say, I bet you Stacy's mom is a grown-up Jesse's girl. I bet that's what happened. So when I saw this, I have a a bunch of stories. And you guys are going to wonder, like, have you been drinking? Well, you know I don't drink. I'm just maybe a little over-caffeinated. But this story freaked me out. Why? Because it's right about, you know, depending on what day of the week you get me, it's a be- between about a 129-132 situation. So the thought of somebody having something removed the size of me, I was like, what? Here's the headline. 132-pound ovarian tumor. Ovarian Like, you know how little your ovaries are? 132-pound ovarian tumor removed from Connecticut woman. Now, when you read something like this, you think, you know, Connecticut, like, this is the kind of stuff that happens in the backwoods of Russia and Bulgaria or something, or countries that have names that we don't even, even use, Estonia and America. This could happen in Danbury Hospital. I know where Danbury is in Connecticut. The tumor was not cancerous, but was still life-threatening, you think, due to its size. So here's the story. This story blew my mind. And you want me to tell you something about it? It, I, I'm not being disrespectful or mean. It was There's something about gross exaggeration that makes things comical. I'm sorry. As a comedian, when I read it, I was like, 132-pound ovarian tumor. Are you sure that wasn't, you know, your sister hiding out while you were asleep? She crawled in your ear you know uh, actually i'm cleaned that up for radio <laughs> you you know i thought something else okay so um the patient who wished to remain anonymous how can you hide this i'm sure the doctors were talking i'm sure the hospital was a buzz i'm sure there's pictures of your tumor in fact you know how i know there's pictures of your tumor because i have one Ugh! i think i'm gonna have to ask well you even if december posted it i'm gonna tell you this 132 pound tumor Looks an awful lot. Okay, I'm going to say it. I have a friend who's an EMT. And one time, he told me a story about something that happened to a gentleman that made his nards swell. And I don't know if you know this about the nards, but, you know, the reason why that that chamois skin is the way it is, you know, it's kind of elastic and whatnot, is, you know, for comfort and movement of the nards. And uh, when that gets overextended evidently it's it's worse than a kick like when you when you have taken all the stretch out of the chamois it is painful so my friend said that they picked up this guy that evidently had had a a situation let's just say i mean look how many of us have watched america's funniest home videos just because you know the show should just be called shot to the nards anyway so that this guy was like that You know, he had, according to my friend, he had, who wants to remain anonymous because he works at a local hospital as an EMT, he said that the guy had to be taken out of his home in a wheelchair. He could not walk. He could not move. And that they looked like two grapefruits side by side in his lap and that he was, you know, screaming. So I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine what life is like with a 132 pound tumor in your abdomen, in your lady parts. The tumor began growing at a rate of about 10 pounds per week in November. Now, for the record, how many people gain 10 pounds in a month and don't freak out? A medical team, including 12 surgeons, removed it 
in a five-hour procedure at Danbury Hospital in Connecticut, according to Dr. Vagin. Now, that's his name, V-A-A-G-N. I did not make that up. That's his first name, Dr. Vagin Andikian, A-N-D-I-K-Y-N. So that's it, Vagin Andikian, a gynecologic oncologist for Western Western Connecticut Health Network and lead surgeon on the case. This is what he said. During the surgery, we removed this gigantic tumor that originated from her left ovary. We removed her left ovary, her left fallopian tube, the affected peritoneal tissue that was adhering to the ovary. The tumor originated in the epithelial cells lining the ovary and was mucinous, meaning it was filled with a gelatinous-like substance produced by tumor cells. However, it was benign. It was exceedingly rare to have a tumor this large. There's only been 10 to 20 tumors of this size removed worldwide. Do you, what, the, what? What? One of the largest tumors, are you, I didn't even know this could, I'm sorry, I went down the rabbit hole. One of the largest tumors ever taken out of a human was 303 pound ovarian tumor removed at Stanford Hospital in 1991. 303 pounds. Now, you're already Walmart greeter fat, no matter how tall you are, unless you're a six foot five man, and even then you're chubby. So, 303 pounds originating in one tiny body part. I don't even know how this can happen. And then they said that she was unable to walk, that it was creating problems in her abdominal wall, and that it would get to the point where she wasn't going to be able to breathe. Breathe. They had to consult a plastic surgeon to do reconstructive surgery afterwards. Do you think? When I first walked into the examination room, I found a 38-year-old malnourished patient with a weight of 350 pounds and an extensive tumor that was 39 inches large. I saw fear in the patient's eyes. That's what the doctor's saying. Can you imagine that 350 pounds is what she weighed? That's a lot. But can you imagine losing 130, that's half your body weight is tumor. I was curious to know how much the 303-pound person weighed when the tumor went out, but no matter how much I looked, I couldn't find it. There was no, you know, like the person weighed this or that. I guess back in 1991, they didn't keep as extensive records. But I am going to have December post the picture because when the person is laying down, and you can see her body laying down and her upper thighs and the tumor resting on her like she is going to give birth to like, you know, I don't, I don't even know how many. Like she makes Octomom's belly look like nada. Like this could be, you know, 12, 15 pups in there. And it was just a tumor. So, no, I know that Josh is very tempted to play that. It's not a tumor, but it, it was a tumor. So that to me is a story of denial, surgery, recovery, and happily ever after. There you have it. 130-pound tumor. 130, yeah, 132-pound tumor. Gone. Happy Mother's Day. KFI. Now, if you guys could get some of your kids out of the basement. KFI AM 640. The Monique Marvez Show. Tossing to Michael Chappé. But lately something's changed. It ain't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. And she's watching him with those eyes. And she's loving with that body, I just know it And he's holding her in his arms late, late at night You know I wish that I had Jesse's girl I wish that I had Jesse's girl Why can't I find a woman like that? KFI AM 640 Since I did the Fountains of Wayne joke about how you know, Stacy's mom was actually started out as Jesse's girl. Of course, we had to go Jesse's girl by Rick Springfield. This headline was a little bizarre to me. Single moms turn to sugar daddies to help them with rising daycare costs. Now, there, there's a whole thing now, and, and maybe you've seen it driving around L.A., and it's a, it's a bizarre thing to me in the whole face of this tectonic shift of, you know, Me Too and women being more independent than vocal I don't even know. I think it's called sugar dating or something like that. Dating the way you want. And it's the, the, the billboard is like a butterfly and a very pretty girl with shopping bags. And I, I don't, I don't want to think that I'm right, that it's some sort of 
escort service where rich men get to go to like Malibu and shop with beautiful girls and people think that they're like that scene in Pretty Woman and then there's some understanding dot dot dot. But th- there's a whole term now where they don't they don't just call the man the sugar daddy. There's this whole kind of Instagram ducky lips kind of chick that they now refer to as sugar babies that specifically go out looking for rich dudes, not even necessarily to like hook up. In fact, I'm uh, I'm not going to mention any names December. And she said that she had a friend who likes to go out and party, you know, have a really good time, make sure the older fellow is good and trashed, you know, and unable to, uh, you know, claim his jacket when he shows up with his ticket, if you get what I'm saying. And they just go out with her because they just go out with her because she's cute and fun to drink with. All right. In an exclusive interview, an Orange Park single mom told the local news agency Action, Action Jacks, this is in Georgia, it's helping her ease the financial burden of raising her son. After Kim's long-term relationship with her son's father ended, money became a challenge. It got to the point where he was wanting to go and do things or wanting things, and I couldn't provide, said Kim, who told the news agency not to use her last name to protect her 8-year-old son's privacy. And it made me feel kind of really low. Really? That was the low point? I think this is it. After meeting her current sugar daddy on, this is a real thing, SeekingArrangement.com. Seeking, is is that what society's come to? I mean, why don't you just call it hookermoms.com? Seekingarrangement.com eight months ago, they now live together. Kim said her her son doesn't know about the arrangement. So they've just just put it out there. This is it. Like, I've got a child. I'm attractive. You've got money. Sugar daddies are willing to pay college tuition. That's what it says. Kim said uh, he knows about him as a person, but he doesn't know what the agreement, relationship, anything like that. We've left it as we're friends and we're staying here for help. We're staying here for help. She like moved in with this dude. He's subsidizing her. Kim said her sugar daddy provides about $3,000 a month, sometimes more. She said that while she has chemistry in quotes with her sugar daddy, it's not a sexual relationship. At this moment, no. Now, the minute a woman says, at this moment, no, at this moment, as opposed to, I don't see it, not for the foreseeable future, even that's like a crack door. At this moment, no means, if push comes to shove, I like this house. It could lead into something. We haven't got that far, said Kim. There is romance, but it's not about romance. It's about filling each other's needs. I don't even know what that means. What needs? Isn't romance a need? Isn't sex a need? Like you got a kid that needs college and he needs what? A pretty girl and a kid in his house? Do people understand that they're kidding themselves? Do they understand that this is all just a big giant lie? I I don't even think to some degree that girls understand that Tinder just basically renders your body part Chinese food. Like you're just figuring out where to deliver the goods to the dude. That's it. You might as well be Mugu Guy Pan. All right, there is romance, but it's not about romance. It's about filling each other's needs, showing guidance, support, emotional help, and obviously financial. A SeekingArrangement.com spokesperson told the news outlet a survey of of 100,000 sugar baby mothers. There's 100,000 of these women? Found they turned the practice to help with unpaid child support, daycare costs, and rising rents. Now, first of all, First of all, the Freudian slip, first of all. First of all, uh, what about what about deadbeat dads? What about going after the children's actual father? There is, I mean, I know it's difficult and it's tedious and et cetera, et cetera. But to be clear, I don't think you're kidding your son. I think you're going to have to answer a lot of unusual questions when the kid grows up. I think you're going to have to answer a lot of unusual questions in a year or two. Nine and ten years old, kids know what's hip. Can I just put this under the category of bad mom? I mean, I know there's that movie Bad Moms, but I don't, I haven't seen it. But I don't think any of them are on SeekingArrangement.com. All right, this is just a little story here that's kind of stupid. And when I say that, it's like, really? 
this guy pretty much has proven that he's a nut job. Virginia man sues police lifeguard who saved him from drowning. He says he's suing because the 2016 incident left him with more than $100,000 in medical bills. His name is Matus Fijolkowski. First of all, it's very hard to live with the name of Matus Fijolkowski. That in itself is a bit of a burden. He's 23, and he's suing the police officers and lifeguard who pulled him out of a swimming pool when he was trying to drown himself. The Virginia man, who reportedly suffered a bipolar episode and tried to drown himself in a pool, is suing the police officers who pulled him out of the water. He says he was there for almost two minutes and that the police officers watched and stopped a lifeguard from jumping in to save him. The Fairfax County Police Department says officers acted appropriately to save Vigilkowski and protect themselves. It's the old, you can't jump in on a flailing, drowning person or they'll pull you both down. But he got out. He's evidently, you know, sane enough to sue. He has $100,000 in medical bills, so he must have taken in some water. And at the time of the incident, Fijolkowski said he had never suffered any mental health episodes. He was later diagnosed with bipolar disorder. By the way, if you jump in a pool with the specific intent to kill yourself, you are having a a mental situation, for the record. And, you know, this is going to get thrown out. He's going to be happy to be alive. I just know he is. And so is his mom. This is the Mother's Day Eve show, tossing to Michael Chappé on KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, the Monique Marvez show. So last Sunday I was walking around downtown with my friend, and uh, we were talking about, and he even said it like this. He said, it sounds very tinfoil hat. Remember back in the day, in the 80s, people were, would talk about lining stuff in tinfoil because the, I guess the rush. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. website for details. We're sending gamma rays or, or else there's always people that think the cell towers. I have a friend who won't talk to you on the phone unless his earbuds are in, even if it's a short conversation. And I had another friend that was obsessed with, you know, I, with, but they, they did prove, though, I, I will say this. I think there were studies years ago that proved that people that spent a lot of time around radar back in the day, like Korean War time and all that business, ended up being sterile. I have an uncle that was sterile. And I think they were saying that policemen back in the day that had speed guns uh, down by their privates. But the reason why I'm saying this is because all of the stories coming out I think there I think there's another movement that's going to come. We had the we have the Me Too movement and the Weinstein and the Cosby and then we have the Parkland shooting and then we have this other whole, you know, march for my future and all of that. And now I think that in a way Facebook and this whole situation with with the Analytica, I forget the name of the it's it's a British name Analytica or whatever Cambridge uh I think there's going to be, and I'm just putting it out there, a wave of backlash of all of this sort of minority report spying, this big brother. Now, I've been saying it for years, and I know that some of you have kind of had conspiracy discussions, but remember in in Minority Report, there's a fantastic futuristic movie with Tom Cruise called Minority Report, where he would... You, you walk down a hall in a building and you're walking past a, let's just say, a, a plexiglass wall slash screen, very modernistic, and everything that shows on the screen as you walk past it is 100% geared towards you, your likes, who you are, what you look like, your age, your sex. And this movie came out in the early 2000s and that seemed like, ooh, and you know, there's always been sort of talk of Big Brother. Well, at the end of the day, we didn't need Big Brother. It didn't have to be government. It doesn't have to be Snowden. It doesn't have, it does, 
We've done it ourselves. We've done it ourselves. Every time we type agree or I accept or yeah, let's do this. Get Put me on your network. I don't care. I just want internet because I'm completely addicted. I cannot spend an hour without seeing my friend's cat on a Roomba. And I believe, and I, I know I'm sounding very coast to coast now, I believe that we're going to pay for that. I believe that our loss of privacy is escalating at, at, a, at an alarming degree. And it's not Big Brother and it's not the government. I don't know. Who, it, it's, it's, I, I don't even know what to call it. It's the uh, commercial material, Madison Avenue, get all of your money out of your wallet, turn you upside down and shake you till your pockets come out complex. As opposed to, you know, the, uh, the industrial war machine. This is the war on your wallet. Facebook, listen to this story. This kind of scared me. Facebook security analyst is fired for using private data to stalk women. This guy's a security analyst. This is like last year, last week when we found out in our mugshot of the day that the superintendent of schools, a man with an important part of academia, was the one who had beef with somebody and was pooping on a track of a high school. This guy's job is to figure out how people are breaching security. All right. Whew. Already under intense scrutiny for leaking sensitive data belonging to more than 87 million users, Facebook said it fired a security engineer accused of using his company position to stalk women. The allegations surfaced last week in a series of tweets from Jackie Stokes, founder of a firm called Spyglass Security. Now, this is her tweet. I've been made aware that a security engineer currently employed at Facebook is is likely using privileged access to stalk women online. I have Tinder logs. What should I do with this information? Now, part of what blew my mind is that we live in a world where somebody's Twitter account and her her Twitter is is at find underscore evil. Jackie Stokes, that is her handle, find evil. Well, first of all, talk about speak it into being. If you put yourself out there saying, I'm going to find evil, you're not going to have to look far. Evil's coming right your way. Stokes included portions of a purported discussion between the unnamed Facebook employee and someone else over the Tinder dating app. Now, I, I'm just going to put it out there. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Tinder just, there's something about that that's just just desensitizing. It, it, it's like a video game of your heart. It's like Grand Theft Auto of your, of your soul. Or you're just running over hookers and killing people. But, but I, I know that sounds dramatic, but I just don't, I don't think that looking at someone's face and swiping left and right is healthy. I don't think it's mentally a good setup for any kind of long-term relationship. In it, the employee said he was, a, this is, this is over the Tinder app on the actual app. The employee said he was a security analyst whose role in trying to identify who hackers were in real life made him a professional stalker. That's kind of like the undercover cops that end up growing out their hair and doing drugs with the druggies so they can catch the druggies. It's a fine line. He then told the person, so out of habit, I have to say you are hard to find. LOL. Like the LOL softens. Hey, I'm an important person in this cyber world of you can't catch me and I found you. Stokes later tweeted that the exchange was only a limited snippet of the overall conversation referring to the person the Facebook analyst was chatting with Stokes also wrote I have a suspicion that her Instagram account which was connected to tinder was used to identify her the question is whether he was able to find the information he gave her in chat which caused her a software which which uh, caused her a software engineer herself to be terrified by identifying her on Facebook the tweets which were first reported on motherboard quickly found their way to members of the Facebook security team who initially said they were investigating the allegations. And by Tuesday, Facebook publicly confirmed that they had fired the employee. So my question to you is, the chief security officer, Alex Stamos, wrote, how do they even find these people so fast? 
He quickly investigated the situation and immediately fired the person. It's important that people's information is kept secure and private when they use Facebook. It's why we have strict policy controls and technical restrictions so employees only access the data they need to do their jobs. Um, is it <coughs> BS? <coughs> All right. Just please be careful. Don't accept everything and be diligent. Do I sound like your mom? It is Mother's Day Eve. This is the Monique Marvez Show on KFI AM 640, tossing to Michael Chappé. The ink is black, the page is white. Together we learn to read and write. A child is black, a child is white. The whole world looks upon the side. The Monique Marvez Show on KFI AM 640. Now, this story, it, it, it hurt me. It kind of, it, it, it hurt me when I first heard about it. So the follow-up, look, it brings me no joy. It brings me no joy for someone to lose their life to incarceration or the death penalty or whatnot. But on the other hand, by the way, June is coming up and we'll see what ends up happening in, happening in the Gabriel Fernandez case. It's coming, it's around the corner. Man, I can't even believe it's been, it takes so long. I mean, it just takes so long. It's been uh, five years. It's crazy. It was the summer of 13, but but I digress. I do, as anybody who listens to the show knows, like to follow up on stories that I find intriguing or that kind of pulled at my heartstrings or I found interesting. Kansas man gets life sentence, life for shooting immigrant in bar after yelling, get out of my country. Like, wow. Talk about you're not in Kansas anymore. And uh, it's a, a little town called Olaf. I'm, I'm sure I mispronounced that, but I've driven through it. I know what it looks like. It's, a, it's the suburb of Kansas City, and it's very blue collar. A Kansas man who opened fire last year in a suburban Kansas City bar, killing an immigrant from India in what federal prosecutors have called a hate crime, was sentenced Friday to life in prison. Now, first of all, I don't think you can call it anything but a hate crime when someone yells, get out of my country. Adam Purrington, 52, he's 52 years old, was sentenced for premeditated first-degree murder in the February 22nd, 2017 death of, I'm, I'm going to really try hard, Srinivas, Srinivas Kuchibotla. That's uh, spelled K-U-C-H-I-B-H-O-T-L-A, Kuchibatla. A shooting that stirred fears that immigrants were facing more violence in uh, current atmosphere. I, I don't like to get into name callings or talking about administrations. I just don't want to get into that. But there, there is a sense right now of, in fact, I have a story further down the pike about how we're more diverse in some ways, and more segregated in some ways. I don't even know how that works. Like there's more different kinds of people, but they're sticking to their neighborhoods more. So uh, it also attracted international attention, especially in, in, in India, where officials publicly wondered if their citizens were safe in the U.S. Well, n- not to be ugly, but there's crimes in India against women that are pretty horrific. So... It's it's one of those situations where no crime against another human being of violence and I don't want to say randomness, but if, if I understand, I'm not saying I, I agree with crimes of passion, let's be clear, but if a man walks in his house and his wife is having sex with his best friend and he knows his wife and he knows his best friend and he's heartbroken, and as a matter of fact, I know a guy who was a cop who uh, in Miami who shot his wife's lover and spared his wife um, and he's did time. And I think he only got manslaughter because they said if he would have shot both of them or if he, I, I don't even know how it worked, but that, you know, those people, you know, those people, but when you're shooting people that you don't know just because they don't look like you and you're yelling, get out of my country. Witnesses said Purrington, who is white, uttered racial slurs at Kuchibatla and his friend Alok Marasani, both 32, as they enjoyed an after-work drink at Austin's Bar and Grill in Olath, Kansas. 
He was asked to leave, but eventually returned and yelled, get out of my country before firing at the men. A third man, Ian Griot, was wounded when he tried to intervene. Now, the part of the story that I, there's two parts of the story that I find at least somewhat, and that's that Ian, sounds like a white guy, Ian Griot tried to intervene, and the fact that this didn't take forever and a day. This was a 15-month situation. Under terms of a plea agreement, District Judge Charles Droge sentenced Purinton to the maximum sentence on each of the three charges and ordered them to run consecutively. Purinton, who was given two sentences of about 14 years for wounding the two men and wouldn't be eligible for parole for 77.5 years, the Kansas City Star reported. Kuchabatla and Matasani immigrated to the U.S. as students and were working as engineers at a GPS maker, Garmin, at the time of the shooting. That's like as American as it gets. You're working in a, you know, in a manufacturing, making Garmin so people don't get lost. That's a nice thing. At the time of the shooting, Matasani told detectives that the gunman asked the men if their status was legal before he opened fire. Like, what's this guy like? Like, I, I, I don't even want to get into it. But you don't have a right to walk up to people you don't know. That's not your job. I mean, there's there's other things we could be doing that are much more important. Purinton still faces federal hate crime charges for the shooting and is scheduled for a change of plea hearing May 21st. So I'm going to follow up on that and see how that works out. But Kuchabatla's widow, see, he did not make it. The other two were, you know, injured, Ian and, and um, Matasani. But Kuchibatla's widow, Sunayana Dumala, said in a statement directed to Purinton that she wished he could have seen beyond her husband's skin to the beautiful and kind-hearted person underneath it. She said the couple was looking forward to raising a family in the dream home they had found in Kansas. Now, Kansas is about as American, you know, it's like, that's Wizard of Oz land right there. So I'm A, glad that somebody stood up and tried to help that everybody wasn't killed that justice was served pretty quickly and that, you know, hopefully the widow, she feels, hey, you know, we weren't dismissed. We weren't marginalized. You have to look at the bright side. You cannot be focused on the negative aspects of this sort of heightened atmosphere that's been sort of unfurling for close to, we're two years, I mean, it's, it's May. We're two years out from the conventions. We're almost two years out from the nominations. It's time for everybody to kind of chill, kind of relax. Because here's the headline. America is more diverse than ever, but still segregated. The United States is on track to be a majority-minority nation by 2044, but census data show most of our neighbors are the same race. Since 1990, more than 90% of U.S. metro areas saw a decline in racial stratification, a decline rather than mixing it up, the old melting pot signaling a trend toward a more integrated America. Yet while areas like Houston and Atlanta have undergone rapid demographic changes, cities like Detroit and Chicago still have large areas dominated by a single racial group. Some 50 years ago, policies like the Fair Housing Act and Voting Rights Act were enacted to increase integration, promote equity, combat discrimination, and dismantle the lingering legacy of Jim Crow laws. Fifty years ago. That's a long time ago, 1968. Let's not uh, revisit it, okay? KFI AM 640, The Monique Marvez Show. AM 640, the Monique Marvez Show. Okay, so first let's start. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the great in L.A. But you guys are thinking, what does great in L.A. have to do with puppy love? You already told us to go to Barkin' Bitches. Now I'm going to make you wait for that. See, that's what's called burying the lead. So my great in L.A. this week, okay, I'm just going to put it out there. It's a plug. It's Hermosa. It's the Hermosa Beach Pier. When was the last... Because one thing I found out about, you know, Los Angelinos, Los Angelino County, let's not just say Los Angeles, the city, or Los Angeles, the county. We are a giant city of neighborhoods. I talk to people all the time, and thank you guys for your emails, that say, I've never been downtown, and I went to the last bookstore, and I loved it, or I... I've never been to that side of town or I hadn't gone to Los Feliz or it's been a million years since I went to, you know, Echo Park. And I, you know, the reason why I'm doing great in L.A. is because I just want you to rethink about things. I mean, I know I did get a little bit of hate mail about saying to go to the bourgeois pig. Some guy was like, no, it's going to be totally packed and uncool. But I went recently and it's still quite cool and not packed, although there are people that you can tell have taken up residency at a table that are never leaving. But if you go down to Hermosa Beach, number one, uh, Friday the 18th, I have a show. So you can get down there early. But if you wonder what that that whole California surf culture, now the show's called Great in L.A., so I'm not sending you to San Pedro. Because it's still, San Pedro still has an amazing little vibe. But if you want... You want that vibe, you want that boardwalk, you want that strand, but you don't want the Venice feel. And, I, you know, Venice isn't for everybody. It's a little gritty. It's not for everyone. You know, not everybody wants Muscle Beach. Not everybody wants all the dispensaries. Not every, You know, it's not for everyone. I kind of like it and find it charming. But Hermosa has none of that. I don't recall a dispensary. I recall a fantastic gelato bar right there on Hermosa Beach Boulevard right across the street from the pier. It's still very hamburgers, walking, rollerblading, holding hands. It still feels like beach culture. It still feels like Jaws without the shark. In fact, I have friends who have recently, which is besides going to the club, I used to just go to the comedy club and leave. And then my friend Luis, he said, hey, let me know next time you have a show at Bromosa. I said, what? He said, yeah, me and my friends have started going there a lot. We really like it. We like the fact that they have live music in some of these bars and they have good kind of food, meaning not not super fancy, but elevated. There's a place called Zane's on the corner of Hermosa Beach Boulevard and Pier. Now, I've told you that most of the great in L.A.s are supposed to be about free or cheap. So if you want cheap... The pizza parlor around the corner from Zane's on Hermosa Beach Boulevard, about three doors down from the gelato place, you can buy pizza by the slice that's as good as New York. Do yourself a favor. Put on some Bermuda shorts and a loose polo. Pop the collar. Maybe you have some boat shoes if you're a dude. If you're a lady, you know, find yourself a romper. I I hate to say it, but yeah, do it. Get a romper, maybe even a halter romper with a denim jacket and some espadrilles. Because there's something about it that's very frozen in 1987. There's a, a wholesomeness to it. There's, there's just a good feel. So that's my great in L.A. All right? Hermosa Beach. And if you're looking for something to do on Friday night, the 18th, I'll be at the Comedy Club. All right. So also, I want to just do the mugshot of the week. Because this mugshot of the week is the reason why we played Puppy Love. Dog gets arrested. After attacking deer, his adorable mugshot has the internet in stitches. Now, there's actually a dog standing in front of, you know, when they get on their hind legs so you can see how tall he is. And he's holding a one of those things you hold to identify yourself. And it says, bad dog, 230573, police department. Finn is a little dog, but he is a naughty one. When he took off one day, his owner started whistling and calling for him to come back. He ignored them and went on his way. Now, this is really cute. I'm hoping that December can post the actual video. He chased a deer. He's a little guy. 
I was informed that Finn had been causing some chaos as he chased a deer along the road through the hospital grounds and back onto the road. They tangled for a bit up and over a guardrail and down onto the ice. Eventually, the deer got away and Finn gave up chase. This happened in Ontario, Canada, which is why it was still cold. They actually show Finn in the backseat of the police car. Reed went to get his dog from the police and admitted that he didn't think it was too serious. The officers weren't happy about the dog and gave Reed a lecture on keeping his dog on a leash. They also told him to be prepared for animal control officers to be in contact with him. While Reed was getting a lecture, Finn was sitting in the back of the police car, looking guilty and not the least bit concerned with the consequences of his actions. He felt like a bad dog, and he seemed to kind of like it. So evidently he's like, are you kidding me? I chased a deer. We scrapped. We slid on ice. I held my own, and he ran off. Someone called the police on my dog because he ran away and attacked a deer, and I know this is serious, but the sight of him in the cop car is just, and then they have a bunch of letters, which I'm sure the F's and the K's are, you know, not good. Meanwhile, Reed negotiated his freedom and was a little shocked that the dog had caused so much trouble in such a short time. His daughter, Emmy, also found it humorous, and she took the picture of the dog in the police car, which is quite cute, and then they actually, you know, mugshotted him. Someone called the police. Everyone had something to say about it. Not a bark or a rough. Fifth Amendment all the way and lawyer up. That's what a local lawyer told him to do. Don't speak. After a tip-off from an anonymous caller, they caught the perpetrator and gave him a pat-down, made sure he didn't have a fleas, and sent him to the doghouse. Another Twitter user said that he had a similar situation happen from her dog, and she posted, my dog ran away and made it to a main road. A fire truck on a way to a call dialing 911 had to pick her up. I was laughing so hard that they brought her back, and then I started to cry. And they have a picture of her dog in the back of the truck. Um, put your dog on a leash. These are funny stories, and they're kind of cute, and Finn is hilarious. But at the end of the day, you don't want your dog getting out. That makes you a bad dog mom. It's funny to take a picture of your dog in the back seat of a cop car and mugshot of the week is going to definitely make you smile. But please, you know, keep them on a leash, especially here in L.A. If you're in a rural area like Ontario, Canada, it's pretty dangerous. But here in L.A., I cringe every time I walk down the street and see people on Cahuenga or Vine or Franklin with their dog walking alongside them. All it takes is a raccoon, a squirrel, a bark, another dog in heat, and your dog's going to have a problem. So please, go look at Finn, go to the website, have a good time, have a smile, and let it remind you to be a very good mom or dad to your dog. This is KFI AM 640, The Monique Marvez Show. Climbing up on South Street Hill I could see the city light Wind was blowing, time stood still that inner voice this is the monique marvez show and when i read this headline first of all i am gonna have december post the picture the picture is of ronan farrow and it's uh he's at the oscar party at the 2018 you know vanity fair party i i'm just gonna put it out there the rumors that he could potentially be frank sinatra's son wow i mean there's look there's no point in anybody testing anybody who cares but holy cow, he's a good-looking boy. Mia Farrow's a very beautiful woman, but if, if his father is indeed Woody Allen, he got nothing from him at all. So he gave an emotional commencement speech at Loyola Marymount, and um, I loved when I read in the headline, Trust That Inner Voice. Because if there's one piece of advice that you should give somebody when they're young in life, besides make sure your dog is on a leash so it doesn't run around and slide on ice and chase a deer and end up in the back of a cop car, which is better than, you know, nips up, which, you know, all six of them. It's trust the voice. Journalist Ronan Farrow t- 
told the story behind his now famous story, the one that helped expose Harvey Weinstein's decades of alleged sexual predation. I guess that's how you call it, predation, is uh, the verb for being a predator, uh, while delivering the commencement address at Loyola Marymount University last Saturday. Farrell won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on Weinstein, including a 7,000-word story for The New Yorker that detailed the first allegations of rape and sexual assault leveled against the movie Mogul. He shared the Pulitzer with Jody Kantner and Megan Toohey of The New York Times. But while speaking at Loyola's graduation ceremony in Los Angeles, Farrow discussed the backstory few knew, one that involved personal, professional, and legal risks so significant they culminated in an emotional breakdown in the backseat of a cab. In the end, of course, the gamble paid off, but he said you can never be sure at the time. Now, I the, the commencement speech is quite long, and maybe we'll... You know, if we can cut and paste it, we will. But I have to tell you, as I read through it, the important part of the whole situation was that he said that it was very important. And I hope that in that moment, you'll be generous with yourself, but trust the inner voice. Because more than ever, we need people to be guided by their own senses of principle and not the whims of a culture that prizes ambition and sensationalism and celebrity and vulgarity and doing whatever it takes to win. Now, in the past, we've had a lot of ongoing debates and discussions. And when I say that, even though I don't take phone calls, I do read your emails. We do dig in via Twitter and social media saying that it's very important to understand that celebrity doesn't necessarily make you special or smart and that there's kind of two kinds of people in the world. Ends justifies the means people, whatever it takes, and people that think if I didn't do it right, it wasn't worth doing. As you may have concluded from said introduction, a whole lot happened in my life this past year, he said. I am very, very tired. And I've been up so long, President uh, Trump called Chuck Todd a sleeping SOB, and I just felt jealous. That's a very funny joke. See, he's not lashing out. He's using humor. I've been up so long, I feel like a side effect and one of those uncomfortable medication ads with scenes of old people dancing. So he goes on to talk about that he was working on this story while he was at NBC at the Today Show, but they killed the story. They didn't want to dig into it. They didn't want to be involved. And he got scared as it continued to go higher and higher in the ranks. you got to understand, even though you're a Hollywood royalty, to go up against a guy like Harvey Weinstein, it, it has to be so... You have, I have a girlfriend, Lisa Guerrero, who we're going to have on the show to talk about how much they have to vet every single story. He goes on to say that he had a breakdown in the back of a cab. I was sobbing and trying not to sob, which made it worse. And I'm pretty sure there was some snot happening and it was not pretty. And I remember saying, I swung too wide. I gambled too much. I lost everything and no one will even know. And my partner said, okay, we are going to talk about all of this, but also you are going to tip that cab driver really well because he was just back at the cab crying. The driver's name was Omar, and he was very supportive. Thanks, Omar. Ronan included that in the speech. I didn't stop because I knew I'd never be able to live with myself if I didn't honor the risks those women who had taken to expose, that had taken to expose all of this, but also less nobly because I really had gambled too much and there was no way out but to go through. So there are going to be times in your life, hopefully, I hope for your sake, that you're going to have to trust no one but yourself. See, again, this is the Mother's Day Eve show. I want you to think about the times when you've taken a big risk. Maybe you put up money to start a business. Maybe you put a down payment on a house and you could get that far and you were thinking, boy, I sure hope I can make the mor- you know, the mortgage payment. This is what happens. You get to that moment, but then this is the part that I really like, and I want to close the the break on this before I toss to Michael Chappé, because to be talking about, you know, sexual predators and the women and him crying and breaking down and feeling that he can't go through it and making jokes, and, and I mean, the, the speech is extremely comprehensive. Clearly, he's a journalist who knows how to put things together, but here it is. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. 
For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And then he went on to say that he was quoting the Bible. That's Timothy Timothy 4.16. Now, if anybody, see, that's why I love the accountants. Because, and and again, for those of you just tuning in, I'll just keep saying over and over. At some point, December and I are going to create a Monique Marvez show lexicon. So whenever we talk about the Wayback Machine, you know we're playing a song from the 60s or 70s or maybe as far back as the Ink Spots. So we have the Wayback Machine and we have the accountants. And one of the things I like about the accountants is that they pick and choose. They pick and choose. Life to them is a store. They don't have to say, like, I'm all Catholic or I'm all Jewish or I'm all, they quote the Bible and Buddha and stuff that's written on the outside of a Lululemon bag or some nice affirmation they got over organic fruit at Whole Foods. Whatever it takes to do the right thing. So Ronan Farrow, good luck and uh, good news and good writing. And, you know, thanks to Omar from me for making sure that you got through it. Because I have to tell you, as these stories continue to to unfurl, and we're just like, I'm going to say at this point, three quarters of the way through. When we come back, I want to bring something back around that I teased three weeks ago because it's heating up. This is the Monique Marvez Show on KFI AM 640. KFI AM. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 640, the Monique Marvez Show. Now, a few weeks ago, I was talking about this self-help cult pronounced Nexium, but spelled N-X. N-M, I guess that's how it's spelled, N-X-N-M, and it's pronounced Nexium. Now, this, the head of the cult is a guy named Keith Rainier, and I mentioned how he had taken these young ladies from wealthy families and used some sort of mind games on them, but it's, it's difficult to prove because the girls are of a certain age, and they went, you know, air quotes, willingly, and some of them were even, as I was saying uh, a few weeks ago, but let me refresh, branded with his initials in their lady parts. But interestingly enough, Allison Mack, who was on the show Smallville, and evidently had somewhat of an acting career. I don't know much about her, but I didn't watch Smallville. It was kind of popular, I guess. I Look, I didn't even watch Dawson's Creek. But it's... Uh, this is the story, and I got this right out of like a tabloid because I've been following it, and there's it's very hard to find specifics. Is a Smallville star headed to the big house? It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a lengthy prison term. You get how they did that? Small. It's, there's nothing funny about this. Smallville star Allison Mack, 35, was arrested after horrifying details emerged about her involvement in an alleged sex cult that branded itself as a self-help organization, but instead, leader Keith Rainier literally branded the skin of his female devotees, with his initials, by the way, and reportedly kept them as sex slaves. Allison is accused of recruiting unsuspecting women and has been charged with sex trafficking and forced labor conspiracy. Now, they found these two in a very fancy house in Mexico that was one of the members of Nexium. I mean, this guy got... About a hundred million dollars, a hundred million dollars out of the Bronfman sisters, the half sisters of Edgar Bronfman of the Seagram's family. She was released on five million dollars bond and will be under house arrest at her parents' home in California until her trial, where she faces 15 years to life if convicted. Certainly no small sentence. I'm telling you, when this actually goes to trial, because I think that these 
girls are from good, prominent families. These are not street urchins, runaways. These are one of them, which I'm trying very hard to get Catherine Oxenberg on the show. She's been on before, actually, and she's a friend. Her daughter was directly involved in this cult, and she wrote a book with People magazine. And uh, it's it's like taken, but worse, because e- the girls stayed even when they could have left. Like, this guy's under arrest. And last I checked, India, her daughter with Bob Evans, these are like Hollywood regular, as regular as Hollywood. But, you know, these are not, these are not people that have been neglected or mistreated. It's fascinating to me. And I think when the trial starts to play out and they start to really interview, depose, whatever they do with people like Keith Rainier when they get a hold of them, it's going to be, mark my word, it's going to be a fascinating, interesting story where when you read headlines that say young Americans are the loneliest surprising study from Cigna, I think there's something going on with social media and technology and being desensitized, all of the things that we talk about that are creating this perfect storm where we have these polarities where on the one hand there's a generation of women coming forward and speaking out and saying, you know, no mas. And there's a generation below them that's almost still, I don't want to say asleep, anesthetized, unaware, naive to the dangers, maybe because you spent so much time on the Internet living a quote-unquote virtual life. It's very difficult to realize how much predation is real and you have to be on your guard. I didn't expect to sound so much like a mother on this show, but I think it's because I have two nieces and I'm genuinely concerned when I go and see them. I spy on them. I have fake profiles on social media so that I can spy on them because let me go further down the headline. Loneliness may be a greater public health hazard than obesity. And experts say it has hit epidemic levels in the U.S. Loneliness has huge effects on health, disrupting sleep, increasing stress and inflammation and having such a negative impact on mortality that some researchers think it's as bad as smoking. Last Saturday night, I had one of our regular listeners reach out to me and use the old quote, when you're at the end of your rope, tie it in a knot and hang on. And he was saying just this, that he was isolated and alone. And, you know, don't don't send your mother flowers. Don't text her. Call her. Get in your car. Go to her house. Hug people. Make a connection. Here it says, it's hard to be alone and loneliness is harmful too. Being lonely can disrupt sleep. It is also associated with cognitive decline, heart disease, and greater frailty later in life. And they're saying that it's the younger people. People who lived alone had an average loneliness score of 46.4, while those who lived with others had an average score of 43.5. But single parents living with kids had an average score of 48.2. This suggests that having kids doesn't necessarily make people less lonely and that the pressure of supporting their kids may have a negative effect. All of us know people that are single parents that were, you know, obviously they don't set out to be a single parent. Reach out to those people. Reach out to people that are, you know, don't assume that a child can fill the space of contact of another adult. It's when I was reading through all of this, and they're very lengthy studies, and I was appreciative that that December printed all of this, but it was a lot to read before the show because as I was taking it all in, they were saying that Generation Z and the millennial Americans are the most lonely. Keep in mind, these are the very same people that are constantly stuck to their devices. So clearly there's some sort of buffer where the warmth of interaction and contact and exchange isn't getting through that actual energy, that warmth, that connection, that engagement. So as you... Until we get together again next week, I'm going to give you some homework. Think about the people that you love and engage with them. Actually, pick up the phone. Even if you have to tell a white lie and say, I couldn't text you, I'm driving. 
Now when you call people, you have to apologize. But now that we know how lonely everybody is, let's actually do that. Let's pick up our phones. Let's call. Let's hug. Let's leave notes on the kitchen, you know, refrigerator. All right? Again, I didn't expect this show to go this way. But the stories she pulled kind of took me in that direction. This is the Monique Marvez Show, KFI AM 640, tossing to Michael Chappé. Don't come around here no more. Don't come around here no more. Whatever you're looking for. Hey! Don't come around here no more. KFI AM 640, The Monique Marvez Show. First of all, it's been way too long since I've played Tom Petty. And second of all, that video, when it came out, the whole Alice in Wonderland, and when she screams and she goes, ah, and her mouth is open. I want, You know what? We never post videos for your tunes. Uh, maybe, maybe once in I don't want to give December extra work, but maybe once in a while when it's an extra special video, we'll go ahead and post it so you can get into the Wayback Machine. And remember that whole Alice in Wonderland. It was a great video. Don't come around here no more. Plus, I just... Tom Petty's the bomb. All right. The reason why I'm playing that is because I have to tell you, I don't know why this headline hit me in such a weird place, but it did. It did. And I had like a montage. You know how they say before you die, your life flashes before your brain, you know, before your eyes? Here it is. John McCain is still alive. He's still quite feisty. We can all remember when he did that whole thumbs down thing a few months ago. And uh, and recently he told Meghan McCain's husband to take care of her. It's um, He's ill, and we know he's ill. He's, he's quite ill. He was uh, this is diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer last July. So 10 months into this aggressive cancer, he is still with us. And when I read this headline, John McCain has asked the White House to keep Donald Trump away from his funeral. So clearly, right up to the very end, there's the old expression, you know, he's going to die with his boots on. I remember back in 20, maybe 06, I think it was like 2006, I was watching him on Fox News, and that was when he did, everybody went bananas when he did that bomb, 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 Iran. But, I mean, think about how many years... He's been in politics and the sacrifices that he's made and being, you know, even the fact that Trump made that incredibly egregious comment about him being a prisoner of war, which that in itself. So there were several places to follow up on the story. But I got to tell you, it made me really laugh the way Perez Hilton did it. And I'm not a fan of Perez Hilton, but this is funny. You know, you you effed up pretty bad. When a person says explicitly they don't want you at their funeral. John McCain is back home in Arizona now, apparently in very ill health and perhaps near death. Uh, It's been 10 months. And in a new report out in the New York Times, his inner circle is apparently already planning for his funeral. That makes me sad. And it's not even that he's just an important, I think he's been an important fixture in the landscape. He's a person who's, who's spoken on both sides of the aisle. He speaks his mind. He says what he's thinking. Uh, I think he thinks before he says. I thought that his speech, his uh, where he conceded the election to Obama, was gracious and brilliant and kind. And in a new report, um, he said he apparently, that the event apparently will not include Donald Trump. According to the report, the Arizona senator's people have informed the White House that their current plan for his funeral is for the vice president, Mike Pence, to attend the service to be held in Washington's National Cathedral, not Trump. That's a serious call out to explicitly tell the White House to send Mike Pence. Now, we'll see what happens. We'll see what all is said. I've got to believe that if somebody says, you know, don't come, that you will respect their wishes. In another headline, it said, McCain in his new book, Maybe I'll Be Gone Before You Hear This. That's an excerpt from his book. You know what? 
I um I don't know why, but I think I'd like to see him live through Father's Day. I think it would be a nice thing for him to make it through Father's Day. I think being a really great dad was as important to him as being a very good politician, statesman, representative, uh, part of the American process. And now the best story of the week. Talk about a Mother's Day gift. Talk about on ending, ending on a super incredible high. Boy, 13 regains consciousness after his parents signed papers to donate his organs. Now, I'm looking at the kid. He doesn't look good. He's got a big gash on his head. and I mean, it, it is not good. A 13-year-old boy who was said to be brain dead defied odds when he regained consciousness after his parents had signed papers to donate his organs. Trenton McKinley of Mobile, Alabama, was hospitalized two months ago after a small utility trailer he was in flipped over. Man, that is so dangerous. That happened to Britney Spears' niece was trapped under one of those, like, ATVs. I hit the concrete and the trailer landed on top of my head. After that, I don't remember anything Trenton told the local Fox affiliate. Can you imagine that? He was able to speak. He's like, bam, he was knocked out. They thought he was dead. Trenton suffered seven skull fractures from the accident. His parents recalled doctors saying their son would never be normal again. All I saw was a stretcher with his feet hanging out. He was dead a total of 15 minutes. Trenton's mother, Jennifer Randall, told the local affiliate. When he came back, they said he would never be normal again. They told me the oxidation problem would be so bad to his brain that he would be a vegetable even if he made it. Trenton was brain dead and barely breathing in the days following the crash. His mother ultimately decided to sign the papers. Five kids needed organs that matched his. It was unfair to keep bringing him back because it was damaging his organs even more. A day before doctors are going to take Trenton off of life support, the 13-year-old began showing signs of brain activity and movement. Trenton began breathing on his own and woke up speaking full sentences. His mother wrote on a Facebook fundraising page, Trenton still has a long road to recovery and suffers nerve pain and daily seizures. He's had three brain surgeries and will have to have other procedures to reconnect the missing piece of his skull. But he's alive! How cool is that? I was in an open field, walking straight, Trenton Trenton recalled. There was no other explanation but God. There's no other way. Even doctors said it. All right. So I guess I guess in a weird way. I mean, here I've talked about Ronan Farrow quoting Timothy, and uh, and now we have this young man. I guess pre Mother's Day, I'm I'm kind of putting that good old timey Sunday school in you like your mama would have. So. And plus, tomorrow you have the Jesus Show. So I'm kind of uh, setting you up for that. This is the Monique Marvez Show on Mother's Day Eve. Call your mom. Hug her. Surprise her. Engage. Show some warmth. And as always, I'm going to close the way I always do. Love hard. Forgive harder. And get as happy as you can as fast as you can. The Monique Marvez Show on KFI AM 640. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.